Well, welcome, Hillsborough First Baptist Church visitors. We're glad that you are joining us. Um, as you are watching this, uh, it is uh, after Thanksgiving. We are recording this a little before Thanksgiving. And it's just been a different uh, holiday season. Uh, it's a different year. And I know that we're um, feeling all sorts of different things, whether um, it's anxiety or stress or worry, uh, sadness, um, maybe even some excitement in there for things. Um, you know, uh, I just want to just take a minute, just kind of pause for a moment, just kind of acknowledge uh, those things that are going on. It's been a, a rough day, uh, week uh, for the Fields family as well, and, and uh, everything's different. Um, and so sometimes when we hit all these different things, uh, we cry out to God, and I, I recognize in some of my crying out to God that um, I kind of make myself the, the uh, star of the story, and uh, that's actually what we're going to talk about today, uh, God's story and, um, and our role in it. And so let me just take a minute to pray uh, for you, and then uh, we're going to jump in uh, to our message for today. So let's pray. God, um, I just want to thank you for each person that is uh, watching, each family, and uh, God, we praise you for them, and we recognize that we are going through so many different emotions, um, relational challenges, financial challenges in the season that uh, we are currently in. And in that, God, we just come to you, and we just thank you that you love us. Uh, we thank you that um, you have a plan, uh, even though we don't know what it is. Uh, we thank you for your grace and entering into humanity in a way that uh, brings us hope. And so, God, I pray that we would be encouraged by your story uh, today as we, uh, as we look at it. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, today's going to be different. Um, it's already different, right? We're sitting at home watching this on a tablet or computer screen or TV or whatever. But we are, are starting Advent and uh, with that, we just thought we would talk about each of the candles this year. And um, <coughs> today I'm going to talk about hope. And that hope um, isn't kind of that idea of, man, I hope I get what I want for Christmas, or I hope that this works out, or I hope I win the lottery. When we talk about hope from a biblical standpoint, it's rooted in something, it's grounded in something. And so when we come to the first advent, uh, we are going to talk about what Israel was hoping for. And in that hope, we look at what God promised in the Old Testament, uh, what uh, God's uh, past actions, and um, God's character. And those things give us a story of what we really uh, need to and want to hope in and what that's grounded in. When we enter into the Christmas story uh, in the New Testament, Matthew starts with a genealogy. Uh, Luke starts with a Christmas story, uh, but then jumps into a genealogy. And if you're trying to tell a, a really dynamic story, you just wouldn't start with a genealogy. Okay? Nobody would tell you to do that. So why did two of the four New Testament writers start that way? They were trying to ground the story of what is happening in the life of Jesus to the story of the Old Testament, which we're often not that familiar with. So what I want to do today in just a, a short time and, and in hopefully a, a, a 
um, an easy way is just retell the story of the Old Testament. And for many of us, we grew up hearing bits and pieces of the story, or maybe we read it, maybe we haven't read it. Today, I just want to walk you through the story of the Old Testament, and we're going to point out 12 promises uh, that are based on God's character, uh, God's past actions, or God's actual words. This is what's going to happen. These 12 promises are just a small portion of what it is that Israel was waiting for in the coming Messiah. So when we go through the story, this something pops up and goes, okay, this is something else you're waiting for. This is something else you're waiting for. And we have to read the Old Testament, in, at least in part, as this epic narrative that is telling this grand story. And the ground, ground, uh, the, this grand story isn't about Dave Fields, which is really disappointing. Because when I am frustrated, it's usually because my story isn't happening the way that I think it should happen. And so I pray to God, and I ask God to make all these changes. And then I run into other people who they also, for some reason, don't know the script of Dave's grand story. And so when I try to do something and it interrupts their grand story, they, inter they interrupt it with another script, and then our two stories aren't meshing. And so what happens is that we're all trying to cry out to God saying, why am I not getting the things that I think I should be getting in this story and what today is supposed to remind us is that this story is really all about Jesus. And God's grand story is so much bigger than our story. And so I hope that as I just retell this story today, that you're encouraged by God's promises, the things that he said he would do, that you're encouraged by God's character, the things that he's done in the past, and that you're encouraged um, by by just the, the, the things that he has done that show us who he is. So we're going to jump into the story of Advent. And again, the idea here is that Christmas has this promise, this promise of the first Advent of Jesus. And so uh, what, is, what are those promises? Well, um, first of all, the story starts right in God's creation. God creates the heavens and the earth. And he places mankind in this perfect garden temple uh, kingdom in which they are going to be co-rulers with God and they're going to expand this garden temple kingdom all over the earth. And God gives them everything they need and, and it's good. And I, I just, you know, in the story, in, in the garden, God is, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is very good. It's not perfect. There's still work that needs to be done. This thing needs to be expanded. It needs to be built up. And God has given humanity, created in his image, the ability to do this. It's really an amazing epic. What, what is this thing going to look like? You have God's people that are living in the presence of God. They're walking with him in the cool of the garden. They're speaking with him face to face. And they're living in this garden-like temple that God created for them. It's really an exciting story. But you and I know that it only lasts for two pages of the story. That on page three of the story, we are introduced to another character. And this character is introduced as a talking serpent, which I know is just weird. Let's just go with it for a while. But this talking serpent is, is in opposition to God's people. He's in opposition to God's presence. He's in opposition to God's place. He, he, 
We don't know why. We're not introduced to that. But he is questioning God's goodness and God's intent in this story. And you know the story. Adam and Eve give in to the temptation, and they fall. And so we often call this the fall, and I just, I, I, I'm beginning to not like that term. See, fall, for me, is something I do when I don't look closely at the sidewalk. Or fall, to me, is something that I do by accident. But what we have in Genesis chapter 3 is a rebellion. You see, mankind rebels against God, and they say, we're not going to live by your definition of what's good and evil. We're going to define that on our own. We're going to make those choices. And rebellion is defined as an act of violent resistance to an established government. And that's exactly what happens. And so God comes in and he speaks into this rebellion. And so just a few verses here, God says, uh, because you have done this, because you have deceived, uh, because you have given into the deception, because you have disobeyed me, because you have done this, cursed are you above the livestock, speaking to the serpent, and above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. So this creature is cursed, and he says, you're a ground feeder now, you're, 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 you're dust, okay? We don't have to think about uh, a snake with feet and a snake with no feet, just think of of evil is, is, it's just, it's being judged here. And he goes on and he speaks, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What, what is going on here? Um, here's some results of the rebellion. First of all, the serpent is cursed, okay? It's interesting here. The ground, the earth is cursed, and the serpent is cursed. Mankind is not cursed, okay? Just, just so you know, those two things are the things that are cursed, the serpent and the earth. And then third, he says, look, there's going to be a constant war between your offspring and, what, what is he saying? Humanity and evil is going to be in a constant battle, from here on out, humanity is going to be fighting with evil. And can we just say, yes, that's what we're experiencing. We are not battling a person. We are not battling a government. We are battling evil. And then he says there's some punishment between Adam and Eve, and he doles those out. They're really just results of this rebellion. This is Here's, here's what... Here's the results of this. Here's the natural, what is going to happen. But then he gives a promise. And the promise is that there is going to be a descendant of Eve that is going to crush evil, and in the same crushing blow is itself going to be a take a death blow. And I love to call this the serpent crusher. God says there is a serpent crusher coming. And that's, that's what we know. That's what we know from the third page of the story. And as we read Genesis, we are just going through the story looking for this descendant of Eve that is going to be the serpent crusher. What God says is, I have a plan. I have a plan to, uh, to redeem man, to reclaim my kingdom, uh, to, uh, to punish wickedness. I, I have a plan for this. 
And this plan is going to play itself out. Now, it's interesting to me that we jump into this story. We're looking for the serpent crusher. And then even in Genesis, fifth page, chapter five is what I'm saying, we go into a genealogy. What is it with the Bible and genealogies? I mean, you're reading a story. I'm looking for a serpent crusher. And all of a sudden, I'm reading a genealogy. Let me just say, God has some reasons for putting these genealogies in the Bible. Um, They serve chronologically. They tell a story in that, what's happening. Um, There's different types of genealogies. There's family genealogies. There's royal genealogies. There's tribal genealogies. Um, They also, genealogies will sometimes show a fulfillment of a promise. I'm going to show you one in just, just a minute. They show the importance of family, right? We're experiencing that right now. Family's important. It, it, it gives us life, right? Um, it shows us that God uses a wide range of people. <laughs> Man, there are some characters in these genealogies. We don't have time to go through it. And sometimes these genealogies tell a story. Now, many, many years ago, uh, I was listening to a sermon, and somebody did a sermon on Genesis chapter 5, and uh, told this story through the genealogy. And uh, years ago, I went back and found that sermon, and, uh, and I just, it was one of those things like, I don't believe this. This is, this is weird. I don't think this kind of stuff is in the Bible. And so I did my own study. And uh, look, this, I, I don't know that I would ever preach this, because I'm not preaching today. I'm just telling a story. So I'm just telling you this story. This isn't a sermon. But this is kind of interesting. So this is what this guy came up with. In the genealogy of, of Noah, uh, in Genesis chapter 5, in looking at the names of the people there and what the names mean, okay? Names in the Bible do mean something. They're important. And so he came up with this. Adam means man, mankind. Seth uh, meant appointed. Uh, Enosh, mortal. Uh, Cain, sorrow. Uh, Mikel, the blessed of God, Jared shall come down, uh, Enosh, teaching, uh, Methuselah, his death shall bring. Uh, if you remember some of the stories of the Old Testament, Methuselah is the oldest living person, and his name means his death shall bring. And if you map out not just the genealogy, but the years that they lived, you find that the year Methuselah died, the flood came. And so Methuselah's name was also a prophecy uh, of the coming flood. And um, that many uh, commentators agree on. I'm not getting weird here. I'll go back to the weird stuff in a minute. Um, But what we see is that God made a prophecy, uh, most likely to flood to the earth, um, or that judgment was coming, and then what do we have? The longest living person that's, that's ever walked the face of the earth. Why? Because God was slow about bringing his judgment. Uh, Kenan, sorrow. Uh, uh, oh, excuse me. Um, uh, Lamech uh, means uh, the despairing. Noah, rest or comfort. And so this is what this band said. He says, you put this together. Um, this is what it says. Man is appointed moral sorrow. But the blessed of God shall come down, teaching that his death shall bring the despairing rest. Sounds like a gospel statement, doesn't it? And I just, I listened to that and I said, I I don't believe that kind of stuff is in the Bible. So I did my own study. 
and I pulled a book off my shelf called All the Men of the Bible uh, by Lockyer. It's, an, it's a long-standing historical work, and I used his definitions uh, of the people, and it came out different, okay? So just telling you, didn't come out quite the same. My study brought this, Adam, man, Seth appointed, um, uh, man in his frailty or to die, one acquainted or begotten, uh, Mahel, um, the praises of God, Jared, he that descends, Enoch, teacher, Methuselah, again, with his death it shall bring, Lamech overthrows, uh, the root of that is lament or sin, and then Noah, this one gives us rest. So my sentence came out this way, man is appointed to die, but one begotten of God, the praises of God, he that descends, the teacher with his death, he shall overthrow sin and give us rest. Uh, Mine actually came out more of a gospel statement. And so these things just kind of make me think, is God trying to tell us a story here, right? And, uh, and so here's what, here's what we have, right? We're waiting for this serpent crusher. And we have this judgment that comes upon the earth uh, of the flood. And in the creation account, in the seven days of creation, the last day is rest. And we usually end it at day six because that's when we're born and we're the head of the story. But, but when we go to rest, we realize that the end result of creation is God is bringing us to rest. And so when we have Noah, that this one gives us rest, we're reminded that there's a promise in Scripture that we're waiting for one to bring us rest. We're waiting for this completion of this creation account to come to the place where there's rest. Now, rest doesn't mean retirement. Rest means an end to the the toil and the battle. And so we're waiting for the serpent crusher and we're waiting for the one who brings us rest. The flood comes, and we recognize God's judgment. There's two interesting things in the story. Uh, God chooses Noah, and he says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And the reason why that's interesting is that is, that is the Hebrew word for grace. This is the first appearance of grace in the story of Scripture. And what we learn is that God is someone who shows grace. God God is, is willing to show grace to his creation. And that's just part of his character. Now, is this a statement, you know, promise I will show grace? No, what we see is the unfolding of God's grace through the story of Scripture. And so uh, Noah uh, finally lands this ark, and uh, we have the uh, rainbow, uh, which is a promise that God says, you know what, I'm not going to flood the whole earth again. And what I mean by that is, I'm not going to scrap this whole thing and start over, okay? I'm in this. Let's finish this story. Uh, I'm in this with this creation. This, here we go. Uh, I, I'm not going to start over again. And um, things don't get any better, right? Uh, we find that Noah's family is also messed up. We do have a curse coming out of that to uh, Ham's descendants. And then we have uh, this whole Tower of Babel thing, which is just this weird story of people trying to build Again, their own kingdom, not following the story that is to go and, and build and to expand and go out. They want to gather everybody together and build this great thing. And so in this, we're still waiting for the serpent crusher. We're still waiting for God's rest. We're still waiting uh, for God's grace. And God chooses one family. He chooses Abraham. 
which, by the way, is not even a family. It's a married couple that's getting old that doesn't have any kids. And God says, through you, I am going to bless all the nations of the world. Through your offspring, Abraham. Abraham's like, well, time out, God. Guess what? I don't have any. And God says, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you that. And your descendants are going to be greater you know, than the stars. And he says to Abraham, I am going to give you a land. I am going to give you a people. And I am going to give you a blessing. That through you, the whole world is going to be blessed. So we're now we're looking for a serpent crusher that um, gives us rest, that is uh, uh, showing grace, and he's going to come from this line of Abraham. Now, I said at the beginning of this, I'm going to tell the whole story of the Old Testament, and I can feel myself talking faster because we are only in Genesis chapter 9. So let me just fast forward a little bit, okay? Um, God does give Abraham a son. He gives him Isaac, and Isaac has twin boys, Jacob and Esau. And from Jacob, uh, he chooses uh, to build a nation. And we have the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and so Israel has 12 sons. And we follow one of those sons uh, into Egypt, Joseph, uh, who goes and it turns out begins to prepare a, a place um, and get himself into leadership there through God's grace and through his sovereignty. And um, Israel, all of his brothers come into Egypt. They have a a time of being celebrated there, and they are in Egypt until they become a disdain to future generations. They become slaves. And now God's people, this tribe that is supposed to be a land, a people, and a blessing, ends up in slavery in Egypt. And um, most of you here, at least, you've, you've heard the story of the Exodus. You've watched the movie. Uh, maybe you're familiar with it. But one of the things that we see uh, in this story is a repeating pattern. The Exodus is a repeating pattern of our salvation. And um, there's what I like to call stages of this redemptive story. And let me just walk you through them. God's people are in Egypt, and they're suffering. And so they, they cry out to God. Um, we might call that prayer, but they come out to this point where they're crying out to God, and God hears them, and he sends a redeemer, um, which, by the way, things get worse before it gets better. And then God does this incredible battle with the gods of Egypt. And when God is going to redeem us, what he has to do is take care of all the little gods that are in us, things that we are worshiping or putting forward in our story as being more important than God. And so God deals with these gods of Egypt, um, and he, he just shows that he is superior. And then we have the story of the Passover, and we, fa- we find that in order for salvation to come, Israel is going to have to trust in the blood of the Lamb. Okay, And that's going to play a big part later, obviously, but we just see this trust in this sacrifice um, for their salvation. And then we have the crossing of the, the Red Sea that we pass through the water. And even after the crossing and the deliverance, we see that Egypt still has desires to go back and do some of the things that they did back in slavery. And isn't that what honestly gets us in trouble is that we want to go back to doing things the way we used to do them. 
And so God gives them the law, and they need to trust and learn to trust and obey God, and um, God will lead them to the promised land. And so the next promise, promise number five, is simply that, that God has the power to save. And, you know, whatever circumstances you're in, uh, whatever uh, things that you have sold off to, whatever uh, habits that you are addicted to, God has the power to save. Now, as God is leading uh, his people, um, and, you know, we have the whole pillar of fire and smoke and the traveling temple and all this stuff, God reveals to his people something else. He says, I'm going to bring a prophet like Moses. He says, the Lord, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me. Moses is speaking. From among you, from among your brothers, it is to him you shall listen. And so we have this, this new promise that we're looking for a prophet like Moses. So we're looking for a, a serpent crusher in the story. We're looking for a rest bringer. We're lo- looking for a grace giver. Uh, we're looking for um, the one that, that's in the game to the end. He's not going to give up. He's not going to flood the earth Again, And we're looking for a prophet that is like Moses. Um, and God says to his people, look, here's, here's how this is going to kind of work out. This is how it's going to play out. He says, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possessions among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God says, look, I have a special place for my people, a special position for my children. You guys are going to play a special role in this story. You get a starring role. You're not the star. You're not the main character, but you get a big part of the story. And so this sounds really awesome. Um, And so uh, God uh, gives a group of laws and ways of following. And those of you who know the story know that while God is doing that, they're breaking all of the rules down on the bottom of the mountain. And so God reestablishes this uh, law with them and, and reestablishes his covenant with them. And he says this, he says, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all the commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. He says, just obey me and I will bless you. And I wish the passage stopped there, but it doesn't. Later on, he goes on and says, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God and be careful to do all that his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And so we recognize that our blessings in the story here for Israel are based on obedience. But here's the problem. We're reading the story. And over and over and over again, Israel disobeys. They can't keep the basic principles. They're constantly breaking the rules. In fact, so much so that they get to the promised land and they break the rules there. They don't trust God and Moses gets angry and God says, you're all going back to the desert for 40 years. They turn down the promised land. After 40 years, they they come into the promised land, new generation, and they blow trumpets and the walls come down and they have some victories. There's a good point in the story. They're seeing victory. 
But then in the story, we enter into the time of the judges. <coughs> and we talked about this when we went through Ruth. There's this, this pattern that goes on in Judges where God's people, they're doing good, and then they sin, and God brings judgment upon them. He brings in an, another nation that puts them into captivity, and, and then they, they cry out to God, and they're looking for help from God, and then God brings a judge, and the judge delivers them. They're back in a time of peace. And this, this cycle happens several times in Judges, where we talk about re relapse and ruin and repentance and restoration and then rest. And so after the time of the Judges, God, um, through Israel's disobedience, gives Israel uh, kings. There's three kings that, uh, that really begin to mark the story. Uh, Saul, David, and Solomon. And uh, Saul was not a great king. David was an awesome king. And uh, David brings peace to the land. Uh, he establishes uh, the capital of Israel in Jerusalem. And he reigns uh, with justice. He has a heart for the Lord. And, uh, and so one day, David, towards the end of his reign, says to God, you know what, God? I live in a really nice house. And uh, you live in a tent. So I'm going to build you a really, I'm going to build you a really nice house. And uh, the, the whole world's going to know about this house. And God says, thank you, David. Um, I don't need you to build me a house. And actually, there's a lot of blood on your hands. And so you're not going to build me a house. Your son will build me a house. Um, but you know what, David? I am going to make you a house. In fact, I am going to make the reign of Israel go through your bloodline for all eternity. This is it. You're, you're the king. I'm going to bless your descendants. And David's like, who am I? Man, I was a shepherd, you know, but wow, God has, God has blessed me. And so the next promise that we have is that the king is going to come from the line of David, the king, okay, the serpent crusher, the rest giver, the grace giver, okay, the servant lover. This is, again, we're narrowing this story down. It's going to come from the line of David, which is incredible, um, and the next king that we have is awesome. Solomon is a, is a great king. Uh, he, you know, gets one too many wives. But he, he is this, this awesome king, rules with wisdom. But what do we have after that? We have the division of the kingdom. And uh, Israel goes off into the north, uh, 10 tribes. Only two tribes remain faithful to the line of David, his tribe, Judah, um, and Benjamin, who was Saul's tribe. They're kind of hanging in there, seeing if they can get the kingdom back. And, and so we have this small little group of people in the south um, that, you know, we get some good kings, some bad kings, and uh, Israel goes off into captivity with Assyria in uh, about 722 uh, B.C. And, um, and then Judah ends up into captivity in Babylon. And a small remnant comes back, and there's a second temple. Um, but there's really just this sad ending to this story. And we don't see the serpent crusher. We don't see the king. We don't see the grace giver. We don't see the rest come. We see constant conflict and disobedience. One of my favorite books kind of summed up the story this way. It said, uh, God gave Israel rules, uh, but they didn't follow God made his dwelling among them, but they didn't seem to act like they wanted him there. God sent prophets, but they didn't listen. 
God provided priests, but they became corrupt. God gave kings, but the kings were a royal pain. Pun intended. Israel was a mess. God still had promises to keep. But most days, it was hard to imagine how anyone could save this stubborn people. They come back into the land. They're a mess. They're destroyed as a nation. And in Isaiah, God gives another promise. And he says, from this stump, this shoot of Jesse, Jesse is David's father, so this this kingdom line will come. And I I like this picture here because we're, we're, we're supposed to picture a dead stump it, there's no tree there. There's no, there's, no, there's no life there. And out of this death is coming a new shoot. So we are following the story. We're looking for the serpent crusher, the rest giver, um, the grace giver, uh, this prophet like Moses, uh, this, this king from the line of David. Uh, we're watching all of this. And now we're supposed to go, okay, but it's something is going to come out of all this death and destruction and loss. And it's a new line. And so the 10th promise here is the branch. We're waiting for this branch. And uh, the, the Bible uses the term branch many times um, and shoot uh, to describe this new thing that is happening. Now, we have all sorts of other Christmas promises, right? We know that it comes from Bethlehem, um, born of a virgin, that there's a messenger to prepare the way. We have all these promises, but let me just kind of review here. We're reading the story. We're waiting for the serpent crusher that's from the seed of Eve. We're looking for a rest giver. Uh, We're looking for somebody who can show grace to God's people. We're looking for somebody who's in it to the end. They're not going to just scrap everything and start over. We're looking for a prophet like Moses. We're looking for somebody that really has the power to save because we're in captivity. We're looking for somebody who's going to give us a special place in this kingdom and a special part in the story. We're working for somebody who gives blessings to his people. We're looking for a king from the line of David. Even now in the story, there are no kings. And we're looking for this new branch. Now, also in Isaiah, God says this. Listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear your call. It is your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away, and he will not listen anymore. That is not a hope-filled verse. God is saying, there is none among you who can bring this salvation. There's no serpent crusher. There's no king. There's no grace giver. There's no person to rescue. You can't do it. And so later in the same poem, God says this. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation. And who? God. And his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and helmet of salvation on his head. 
He put on garments of vengeance for clothing. He wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. What is God saying? You can't do it. So I will do it myself. I will do it. God's final promise in the Old Testament is you have proven that there is none good among you that can be the king, that can defeat evil, that can bring peace and grace. There's none. So I will do it myself. The Christmas story is a conclusion of God coming to do the work that you and I cannot do. It is the story of God intervening in our story to save us. Christmas isn't about a baby. Christmas is about God's bringing the hope to fulfill all of his promises, and he will do it with his strength. Folks, if it was dependent on our strength, we would never do it. We don't have the ability the desire, the holiness to bring about a conclusion to the story. But God loved you so much that he, in the person of his son, took on flesh and lived the life that you couldn't live, died the death that you deserved, and conquered death. He crushes the head of the serpent. He takes our death blow. He rises again. And we are saved by his grace through his power in a way that the story itself becomes the surprise ending of God taking it all upon his shoulders and saying, I will do this for those that I love. Whatever situation you find yourself in, be reminded that your hope isn't based on some little story. Your hope is founded in the things that God has said, in the promises he gave. It's based on his character, and it's based on his actions. And his conclusion is, I am going to do it for you. God with us. Emmanuel, my hope and prayer is that this Christmas you would fully trust the one who did it for you. What a great story and what a wonderful ending when we put our faith in him. God, thank you um, for this reminder of the story that you are playing out on our behalf for our salvation. I pray that those who are listening would place their faith in you, in your death and resurrection, in your call to follow them, that our blessings of obedience don't come because we obey, but our blessings of obedience come because Christ obeyed on our behalf, that he is empowering us to say yes to your word and no to evil, and that we look forward to your second advent and the coming of your kingdom that we might see the completion of what you started for us. Thank you for your love. 
In Jesus' name, amen.